everyone, if you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn to the book of John, chapter 9. John, chapter 9, that's where we're going to be this morning. Like Pastor Irvin said, continuing our series entitled, He Is, where we're looking at the life of Christ, working through the gospel of John. I'll go ahead and tell you, today we're going to look at Jesus Christ as the light who heals our blindness. The light who heals our blindness. But I love this series of John. I'm so excited to be able to speak to you all this morning because John is one of my favorite books of the Bible. Um, It's one of my favorite books in the entire Bible. If you're allowed to have favorites, it's one of mine. And uh, it's really the gospel that I think resonates the most with me. Uh, If you don't know me, I'm a high school English teacher. Uh, I love literature. And the book of John is very much literature. It's very literary focused. It's full of symbolism of thematic elements that John returns to over and over. And and you've probably picked up on this by now as Pastor Irvin has worked um, through the chapters so far. It's not really trying to give us a comprehensive biography of Jesus' life. It's really just a series of short uh, vignettes, these short stories that are compiled together. They're structured around um, these seven I am statements, hence the, the name of our series, He Is, as well as seven signs of Jesus confirming his identity as not just a great teacher, but as God incarnate. And so today, in John chapter 9, we get to see two of those things come together. We see one of Jesus' I am statements meet together with one of his signs of his deity in in this great story. Uh, And I call it a story because that's really what it is from John. It's a complete narrative in one chapter, and you can't really look at anything in this chapter without considering the story as a whole. So we have to look at the entire chapter. Now, it's 41 verses. We're not going to read all 41. Don't worry about that. Uh, What we are going to do, though, is work through verses 1 through 7. I'll fill in some gaps. We'll pick up at verse 25. I'll fill in some more, and then we'll finish with verses 35 through 41. And so if you have your Bible, uh, turn with me to John chapter 9. If you don't, the verses will be on the screen as well. But it begins, John chapter 9 says, as he passed by, right? Jesus and his disciples, they're walking through a town. It says, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. So the man goes, his blindness is healed. He goes and he washes and he he goes to his community and he wants to celebrate and tell everyone what happens. And he's really kind of rejected by the people he goes and he tells. Some of them are in disbelief. They doubt that it's really him. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, they, they kind of attack him. They interrogate him. And so that's kind of the situation in verse 25. They're telling this man, Surely you weren't healed by God. This guy had to be, the guy who healed you had to be some sort of sinner, someone who's using, you know, the devil or something like that. And we see the man's response here in verse 25. It says, he answered, I love this verse, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. 
And that gets the Pharisees all mad and riled up, and so they throw him out of the synagogue. They kick him out, essentially cast him out of the community. And so that's when we pick up in verse 35, and we'll finish out this chapter. It says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. They had cast the blind man out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Will you pray with me, church? Father God, I come before you this morning just asking that you would move me out of your way, Lord, that the message that you want proclaimed this morning would be proclaimed through a broken vessel, a broken mouthpiece. God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would work in this room. God, that we would leave here seeing you as the light who heals our blindness, the light who came into the world that the darkness can never extinguish. So, Father, I just pray that you work in hearts in this room over the next few moments. Love you. Pray things in your name. Amen. A little over a decade ago, I was 17 years old, and I did something really dumb. And when I say really dumb, I mean really dumb. And I experienced one of the scariest days, maybe the scariest nights of my life. July 7th, 2012, I'm going to have to not look over here because my parents are here. And I think that they hold some resentment against me to this day. But July 7th, 2012, I was at my friend's house and we were outside playing, as teenagers do. Uh, we were playing with airsoft guns. If you don't know what airsoft is, it's these little BBs that you shoot each other with and... Um, You have a good time if you're a high school boy, at least. And we were out playing, and in high school, I didn't wear glasses. Uh, My vision was okay then. Um, And so being a high school boy, we thought, uh, eye protection, who needs that? And you probably can guess where the story is going, but long story short, I got shot in the eye. Like, right in the eye. Uh, And scariest moment of my life to this day, I looked at my buddy, uh, actually my buddy's younger brother, to ask him, if my eye was still there, because I thought for sure it had just exploded. So I looked at him and said, is it still there? He thought I meant the BB. He looks at me and goes, no. I was like, oh, I'm done. It's over. Uh, But, you know, I couldn't see. I gave it about 30 minutes, and I was like, well, I still can't see. (sighs) Guess I got to go home. And so I go home. I tell my parents. We go to the hospital. Uh, Long story short, they tell me, uh, you got to have surgery immediately. Your eye's full of blood. we got to take you to Vanderbilt. And so they strap me down couldn't move at all, get in the ambulance, and only one person can ride in the ambulance with you. So my mom hopped in, my dad followed me there. And the whole time on our way to Vanderbilt, my mom was doing two things. She was talking to the EMT who wouldn't leave her alone. Uh, And in the gaps that that he gave her, she was praying, like relentlessly praying. And I'm laying there doing the exact same thing. And we get to Vanderbilt, they wheel me in, and the doctor comes and she looks at me and she says, hmm, and walks out. And I'm thinking, well, I'm, I'm done. That's it. Like, I'm, I'm living with one eye the rest of my life. And so she comes back in, and we're like, hey, what's going on? And she's like, well, they said that you were going to have to be rushed into surgery because it was, your eye was full of blood. She's like, but I just can't see anything. I don't see any blood. And I look at my mom with my good eye, and we're like, uh, and so she looks, and sure enough, it had been healed. 
on the way over. Now, I was still blind for about two months. I was blind in one eye, and slowly over the course of time, my vision came back. And so I say all that to say I, I do sort of relate with the man in this story, right? I was by no means blind since birth. I, I cannot say that I know what it's like to be completely healed of blindness, but I have experienced some sort of healing in my own life. But the miracle that Christ does here in this passage is just so amazing and so astonishing to me. And like I said, the best way to really consider the message of this passage is to look at it as it's written. And that's a story. It's this short vignette that's just put right in the middle of John with no context around it whatsoever. And so it's meant to be considered as a whole. And what we see is that John gives us a story in three acts. He gives us a story in three acts. And so this morning I want to look at those three acts and just pull out some truths that we can learn. So first, we see a man healed. Second, we see the gospel proclaimed. And then finally, we see a warning given. So the story begins with a question. Jesus and his disciples, they're walking through the streets, and they come upon this blind man. And the question they ask God, Jesus is, who sinned? Right? Who sinned? This man or his parents? That might seem so strange to you that that's the first thing that they ask Jesus is, who sinned that this man was born blind. And so I looked into it. I was like, okay, why, why is that the first thing that they thought when they saw this man? And really, it was an ancient Jewish custom that any sort of suffering, any sort of illness or persistent suffering that you endured in your life was a direct result of sin. So they see this man, he's blind from birth, and, you know, logic tells us, okay, he either has to have some sort of sin in his life, or maybe his parents, since he was born this way, that has caused him to be Blind. I just find that so strange. I think surely that I, I think to myself, surely the disciples would have known better, right? The, the Bible makes it clear that suffering isn't necessarily a result of someone's specific sin, but more so a result of the sin-fallen world in which we live, right? Christ makes it clear as much here. He does the same in Luke chapter 13, while we see Paul's thorn in the flesh, right? That's not a result of his sin. But even an Old Testament example, I mean, look at Job. Job suffered greater than, than anyone in the Old Testament, not because of a specific sin, but because Satan wanted to test him and try him. And so I, I questioned, I was like, how did the disciples do that? And then I think, man, how often are we the same way? We do. Right? How often, Brother Dwayne, do we look at somebody going through a hard time in life and think to ourselves, I mean, surely they messed up. They did something, right? They may be deserving it. And there's a lot of false teachers in this world who will tell you the same thing. People who claim to be Christians, they'll tell you, if you're going through something, if you have this suffering in your life, and there's obviously some sort of uh, disconnect between you and God, some sort of sin that is holding you away from the Lord. That's not the case, church. Right? That's not the case. It wasn't the case with the blind man. It's not the case with us as well. And we're not to speculate about the cause of suffering but we're instead to recognize that God can take what the enemy means for evil and use it for good. Right? What does Christ say here when he sees the blind man? He doesn't say it's somebody's sin that made him blind, but he's blind that the works of God might be displayed in him. You see, sometimes, church, God does allow suffering for a few reasons. God can use our suffering to bring glory to him, and he can use our suffering to bring life to us, to bring glory to him, to bring life to us. To us, and that's what he does with the blind man here in this passage. And so, after he clarifies these things with his disciples, what we see is Jesus proclaims himself as the light of the world. 
He proclaims himself as the light of the world, but he doesn't just do that with his words. He does that with his actions. He does it with his words and his actions. What better way for Christ to bring home this metaphor than for him to literally bring light into this man's life for the very first time? He tells his disciples he is the light of the world and then immediately follows it up with proof, direct proof. And just as Christ brings that man from physical darkness into light, he came to bring our entire world from spiritual darkness into light. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, the prophecy says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. That's Jesus Christ who has come into the world, and the disciples got to watch this prophecy be fulfilled right in front of their eyes. And notice the way that Jesus heals the man. He doesn't just say, okay, you can see. He doesn't snap his fingers. What's he do? It's kind of weird. He spits into the, to the mud, makes this clay, and spreads it over this man's eyes and tells him to go wash. And there's a very specific reason that Christ does this. If you look at the original verbiage for him making the clay, it's actually the same word that we use for kneading, like kneading dough. And there's some context behind here. It's the Sabbath, right? It's, it's the Jews' special day, the day on which work is forbidden. And one of the 39 specific classes of work that is forbidden on the Sabbath is kneading dough, and thereby kneading clay. So why does Jesus do this? Well, number one, he knows the Pharisees are going to come, and they're going to harass him, and they're going to take up issue with this. And so he wants to point out the flaws in their view of religion. He uses it to show the spiritual darkness, the spiritual blindness that they have put on themselves. If you think back to John chapter 4 that Pastor Irvin preached on several weeks ago, Christ tells the woman at the well he wants his people to worship how? In spirit and in truth. It's not the traditions, it's not the rules, it's not the laws, it's not your family that makes you a follower of Christ. It's worshiping him in spirit and in truth. And so he uses that method of, of healing the blind man to call that to light, to point out the flaws in the Pharisees' way of thinking. And I don't want to spend too much time here, but think about the beautiful imagery of this man going and submerging himself in water and coming out spiritually, physically able to see. I mean, if that's not a beautiful picture for, for baptism, I don't know what is. And so we see this man healed and we, and we transition into the second act of our story where we see the gospel proclaimed. The man is healed. He comes out seeing. I just, I can't imagine the excitement he has. And he runs out into his community. And he just, he wants to tell everybody he knows. And what happens? They're skeptical. Right? People literally say, if you read the entire passage, they're like, is this really the guy that was blind? Or is this just somebody else? And some, they're like, were you really blind from birth? I mean, they, they go so far as to find his parents. And they're like, is this really your son? And they're like, yeah. And they're like, well, are you sure? Like... They, they just doubt him. They doubt him. They, and then the Pharisees find him and they attack him. And they're like, well, maybe you can see, but it's a sin because it's the Sabbath. And you can't heal. You can't do that on this. I mean, how ridiculous. How ridiculous is that? But what is more impressive is that we see the man respond the same way all throughout. He responds in faithfulness. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. And that's powerful. And I think there's a couple key truths that we can take away from the man's proclaiming of the gospel here. First, don't doubt the work of God in your life. Don't doubt the work of God in your life. This man goes out and he tells others, and they try to make him doubt what really happened. 
The world, the enemy, it does the same thing to us, right? Did God really heal you, they'll say? Did God really provide for you in that way? Or was it just a turn of luck? A lot of times you'll say that God did something for you and they'll say it's impossible. And sometimes they're right. If your friend showed up at work one day and said, hey, I saw this guy have mud spread across his eyes. He washed it off and now he could see he was blind his whole life. You're going to say, okay, yeah, that's, that's impossible. And it is. But I don't know about you, church, but I serve a God who does the impossible. Right? He did the impossible for this blind man here and he'll do the impossible in your life. Don't, don't doubt him. Don't let the enemy convince you otherwise. That's what the Pharisees tried to do with this man. They tried to make him doubt that what he experienced was really from God. And by the way, if you read, the blind man kind of ended up schooling them on some theology anyway, but he knew that what had happened came from the Lord because there's no way that could have come from any any other source. There's no way it could have come from any other source. Don't doubt the work of God in your life. Don't don't question or don't be afraid of the, the quote-unquote mystical, right? The power of prayer. If we say that we have a living hope, if we say that we serve a living God, Don't shy away from telling others, from from understanding when he works as a living God in your life. But we also see don't hesitate to share your testimony. Don't hesitate to share your testimony. This man would not be shut up. He would not be put down by the people that came against him. They doubted him. They questioned him. His own parents kind of rejected him. And he just kept on keeping on. He was going to share his testimony. He was bold in his response no matter who he was talking to. He knew that what he said was going to get him in trouble. He knew that if he didn't stop talking about it, the Pharisees were going to cast him out of his community. But he shared his testimony anyway. Why? Because he knew that Christ had changed his life, that that the light of the world had come into his life, and he considered that of greater worth than his standing with other people. How often do we shy away from spreading the gospel, from sharing our testimony for reasons far less significant than what this man was facing? Right? We don't want to talk to our coworkers about what God is doing in our life because we don't want them to think we're weird. Right? We, we know that our friends get annoyed when we talk about God so much, so you know, maybe we'll just not talk about him around him. If you're surrounded by people who don't like it when you talk about God, maybe you're surrounding yourself with the wrong people, church. If their opinion of you changes because you're talking about God, maybe you need to find someone else. But this man, he left Christ a changed man. And when he was confronted by others, he simply responded with the one thing he knew. Though I was blind, now I see. So what has God done in your life that you just have to share with others? What is God currently doing in your life that you just have to share with others? Right? I just told you all an example earlier of a time where I saw, literally saw God work in my life when I saw myself healed by God. What do you have going on in your life that you just have to share with others? Don't be afraid to share your testimony. So this man is cast out of the synagogue, and we enter into the third act of our story, and we see a warning given. And it's really here where our three main players of our story meet together. We see Christ and the blind man and the Pharisees all come together. And it's really here in this climax of John's brief narrative that we see him bring home the heart of his story. And he suggests one question, who is really blind? He suggests the question, who is really blind? And he gives us a clear warning against spiritual blindness. 
Let's read verses 35 through 41 once again. It says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, that's the blind man, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Notice the response from the blind man. And then Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. There's a great irony present here that those who claim to see clearly, who claim to see the truth clearly, are the ones that Christ proclaims blind. And even more so, if we jump back to the beginning of the passage, what do the disciples think caused this man to be blind? His sin. And what does Christ tell these Pharisees is causing them to be blind? Their sin. Their sin. And so finally, I want to look at a couple truths that we can draw out from this final act of the passage. And first, we see that spiritual blindness is a choice. Spiritual blindness is a choice. The Pharisees saw the power of God on full display right in front of their eyes, and yet they chose to remain blind. They decided that they didn't want to believe the truths that were right in front of them. They'd rather cling to the truths that they had formed in their own heart, to to cling to spiritual blindness, to live in spiritual darkness. And I keep saying those words, spiritual blindness, spiritual darkness. What do I mean? What is spiritual blindness or spiritual darkness? Well, if we're told in the scripture that God is light, in him is light, there's no darkness whatsoever, then logic follows suit that spiritual darkness is living apart from God. It's living apart from God. It's seeking to do it all on our own, seeking to follow the quote-unquote truths that we've made for ourselves that we want to follow, claiming that we know the truth and that we don't need our creator, that we don't need anyone else's help. But scripture tells us time and time again that we are not to live in spiritual darkness, but that we are called to live in the light. Turn with me to 1 John uh, chapter 1, verses 5-7. through 7. It should be on the board. On the board. You can tell I'm a teacher. I'm used to saying the board. On the screen as well. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5-7. through 7. It says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light... We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. Elsewhere in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, Paul says, For at one time you were darkness. We were all in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You see, God has set us free from the chains of spiritual darkness, the chains of spiritual blindness, and we're called to live as children of light. Of light. And I love the verbiage that is used in both passages. We're not just told to be light, we're told to walk, to, to actively pursue, to look after light. Right? That reminds us that this isn't a call, it's not a one-time call to perfection and, and you can never do anything wrong ever again. No, it's a call to daily, continually making the choice to walk in light, to set our sights on Christ and live in spiritual obedience rather than choosing to walk 
and spiritual blindness. And so the question we therefore have to ask ourselves are what are we choosing to make us spiritually blind? For the Pharisees, it was their tradition, it was the law, it was their customs, it was their legalistic attitude that they clung to that made them spiritually blind. What is it in your life, in my life, that we are clinging to, allowing us to become spiritually blind? And it may be something, by the way, church, that doesn't just present itself as something totally bad. I mean, the Pharisees, at least to an extent, thought that what they were doing was good and what was true and and was right. They had convinced themselves that they held the truth. So how are we doing that in our life? Spiritual blindness is a choice, but we also see that we are held accountable for the light we receive. We are held accountable for the light we receive. There will be repercussions. There will be, to use the word that Christ uses, judgment for those who choose to live in darkness rather than light. Verse 39, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Christ has come as the light of the world so that those who are spiritually blind may receive the light, and those who harden their hearts against him, like the Pharisees, will be made spiritually blind. And those that, like the Pharisees, choose to remain in spiritual blindness, continue walking in that spiritual darkness, will be met with judgment. And it sounds really unfair, it seems so wrong, but if we turn to Romans chapter 1, verse 20, Paul writes, For his invisible attributes, talking about God, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. The world is without excuse. Christ has come and made the light of the world so obvious there's no excuse. If we turn back, you know, everyone knows John 3.16, one of the great passages of the scripture. But two verses later, you see what Christ says. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. I'm not saying all this to scare you, right? I think that verse actually should serve as a great encouragement. There's no condemnation for those who choose to walk in the light rather than walking in spiritual blindness. But if you make the other choice, there is condemnation. There is condemnation. May we be a church who continually choose to walk as children of light, not a church made spiritually blind by our own sin, by our own choices. May we look into this story here in John chapter 8 and take the example of the blind man who who shared his testimony, who proclaimed the gospel, who chose to be a child of light, rather than to be the Pharisee who chooses to walk in spiritual blindness. So I'm going to go ahead and ask Alyssa to come on forward as we start to kind of wrap things up. And one of the things that I love that Pastor Irvin has begun doing recently is kind of putting some takeaways Uh, on the screen at the end of the service. And so I want to just point out a few takeaways as we wrap things up before we enter into our time of responsive, just things that we can learn from this story here in John, some takeaways. I think the first thing that we see is that we can find encouragement in the healed man. We can find encouragement in the healed man. If we go back to the very beginning, this blind man was the last person the disciples thought that Jesus would would use to demonstrate his power to proclaim himself 
as the light of the world. He was blind. He was probably a beggar. He contributed nothing to society, and he was literally considered, you know, nothing by the Jewish community. But thank God that our Lord chooses the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, that he chooses the least of these to show his power. In the same way that God, that Christ chose the blind man, that person that you can't see coming to Christ, that person that you think there's no possible way that Christ can work in their life, God is just eager to choose him to reveal his glory. But we can also find encouragement in the blind man's response to Christ and in him going out and proclaiming to others what the Lord had done for him. And then later in the chapter, surrendering himself to live as a child of life. We should also heed Christ's warning to the Pharisees. Heed Christ's warning to the Pharisees. I tell my wife group this all the time. Whenever we read a passage of scripture, those of us who are who are raised in church, who have been churchgoers for a long time, when we read a passage of scripture with the Pharisees, we should probably heed that warning because that's who we are. We're the churchgoers. We're the religious people of our time. So what's the warning that Christ gave to them? Don't allow our religion our tradition, or anything else to make us spiritually blind, but cling to the truth of the gospel. Worship God in spirit and in truth. And remember that only those who thought that they could really see were the ones that Christ proclaimed blind. We have to approach Christ in humility, in willingness to to break down the barriers that we've created to serve him. And then finally, my, my final encouragement is just for us to walk as children of light. Don't allow ourselves, don't choose to be spiritually blind. But daily, right, daily, reset our sights on Christ and choose to walk as children of light. To serve the light who came to heal our blindness. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, we're going to enter into our time of response. And in just a moment, I'm going to pray and then we'll sing before we're dismissed. But... I just want to take this time to allow God to to work in your hearts. I I hope that you'll just allow him to come and to search you and to try you, to to point out the areas in your life where you're choosing maybe to be spiritually blind, where you have become like the Pharisees, where you're following your own truth, and maybe you need to, to ask for the humility to set aside those things and to humbly serve Christ. Maybe you're like the blind man and you haven't experienced the light of the world yet. He hasn't come into your life and healed you from your spiritual blindness. I pray that you would just turn your heart over to him and allow him to make you whole. Whatever is the case for you, I just pray that you take this time to work things out with God. You can make your seat your altar if you need to. You can pray to the Lord where you are. When I'm done praying, if you'd like some extra prayer, I'll be down front waiting. Pastor Irvin will be down front waiting as well. We'll have people in the back, but let me encourage you not to waste this opportunity to turn over your life to the light who can heal your spiritual blindness. Can you pray with me? Father God, again, just thank you for who you are. God, I thank you for this church, the people in here. God, I thank you that you came as a human, took on flesh, but that you also came as the light of the world to heal 
our darkness, to heal our spiritual blindness. God, I pray that no one in this room would leave choosing to remain spiritually blind, that we would each instead choose to walk as children of light. God, I pray that you just continue to work in hearts to to change lives in this room, God. I love you. We praise you. I pray these things in your name.